Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the series that most betrayed me, the franchise, would have to be Troll Hunters, which I know is a television series. But if anyone else has seen the movie and also given it one star on Rotten Tomatoes, you know what I'm talking about. It was that bad? It was pretty oh, bad. I still haven't gotten myself it was pretty to watch bad. it, and now I don't think I will. Brace yourself. Bring a box See, of tissues. I feel like what I loved most about the ones that I've seen from Troll Hunters was that Frasier is one of the trolls. Guy who plays Frasier. You guys are too little to watch <laughs> Frasier. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I'm Caitlin, and the series slash franchise that most betrayed me... Uh, I mean, there are so many that just don't pan out the way you want them to. So um, sad. I was thinking about Firefly and how they made that movie that just dropped, that dropped so many balls, which I mean, it had to, you can't tie everything up, but like, I mean, it was so sad. It was a massive bummer. Yeah. Um, I'm Kristen and... Currently, I feel like the franchise that betrayed me the most, this is going to start some fires, but uh, Rise of Skywalker felt like the biggest betrayal, and I was really upset by it. Is that the the last one? Yes. We should talk at length about why you feel betrayed. I was going to say, Cameron's not here, Kristen, so I think your statement can stand uncontested. (laughs) (laughs) But Cameron Cameron doesn't like the, the sequels, does he? He sees merit in certain aspects, if I recall. Yeah. We haven't had a good That good sounds like a very Cameron thing time. to say. I, I yeah. think he came away feeling much more positively than I did. I literally, I don't think I've ever sat in a theater. Like, my friends and I went to see it, and we were so hype. And uh, after the movie, one of my friends and I just, like, looked at each other, and we were like, that sucked. That was the worst. Oh. I feel horrible. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, there's something to be said about... You can't have a movie that's nostalgia just for nostalgia's sake. You have to have a real plot. Truth. Preach it. Thank you. Interesting. Do you feel betrayed because they cut all of the characters that you liked? Or do you feel betrayed because it was a regurgitation and we're like, Emperor Palpatine, the puppet Star Wars version. has always been or was it <laughs> regurgitation. Like, uh, because... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> For vegetation with class, they put like a yeah. little like a little sprig of parsley on the top. Yeah, so like so I I can't I can't be upset about it for that. I'm just upset that in the first two movies it sort of felt like they were going somewhere. And I mean, there's something to be said about some balls that were dropped in the Last Jedi. Even though I personally enjoyed it, there were things they could have done better. But the fact that there was no plan, and it's so clear there was no plan, and doesn't say anything new about Star Wars to Star Wars people, like. Mm. The story is not any different if you remove the last three movies. Nothing changes. It, Star Wars is fundamentally the same. And I just feel like that's Are a Are you failure. kidding? The Force balances. There is a gold lightsaber at the end. The Force does not <laughs> balance. Okay? <laughs> Zek and Jaina and whatever. That You could have orange lightsabers. You could have silver lightsabers. The color of your lightsaber doesn't mean a single thing. <laughs> but it was trying so hard to mean something. Oh, it tried so Skywalker. hard. The you bad know? guy why can't be gave nobody? up his life for the good... Oh. No, that's true. Stupid. I actually feel like that too. I, I hate it when they bring things back in and they're like, actually, it's still the five people we've been talking about this whole time. The galaxy is a freaking just... big place. It doesn't make any sense for everything to be centered on on mm-hmm. all of these. 
it's fine. You know, that's why I like the extended world stuff on Star Wars. And actually why I like the extended world stuff on Marvel as well, because I feel like they don't feel as obligated to hit the same notes or to hit the same characters or any of the same stuff. Like I just finished, we're already way off track here. I just finished watching Loki and I was like, thank you very much for not being the same thing. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen the trailer for Star Wars Visions that just came out? No. You watch party. To watch it. Just kidding. We'll stay on track. (laughs) Okay. I we should just turn it on right now and watch it. Yeah. No, legit. Part of the frame. (laughs) It's so good because I I, I'm not gonna say anything about it other than I guess it's not officially considered canon, and so they can go any direction they feel like with it, and it already looks freaking awesome. Interesting. Very cool. I actually don't even know what the premise is. Star Wars Visions? I didn't know what it was either. Just watch the trailer. I, okay, it's an okay. anthology. That's that's what I know. It's, oh, interesting. It's, uh, it's Star Wars anime, guys. I don't even like anime. And it looks bomb. Like, they got, like, seven big anime studios and said, here, write a short story in the Star Wars universe and animate it and tell it in your style. And so it's like oh, cool. an anthology of all these big anime people who have just made these wacky stories. I'm really excited. That sounds awesome. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Star Wars Visions. <laughs> I wish they were paying us. I know. I would work for Lucasfilm in a heartbeat. In I would a heartbeat. take that money. So as you can probably tell from the depth of this tangent, um, <laughs> when you're betrayed by a franchise, it can cause some really strong feelings. Sometimes those strong feelings are a good thing, and we want to talk today about how writers can use the feelings of betrayal their plots create in their readers in a good way and plot holes betrayal holes to avoid so you don't actually betray your readers i'm so very we're impressed be with the way you brought that around to <laughs> thank you thank you it was a stretch but i would never betray you guys okay so let's jump into this what are some of the emotional touch points of a betrayal what are the buttons we want to push as writers to get the blood boiling I think it's impossible to make a character or a reader feel betrayed unless you've already built trust with them. I think that's sort of the most important thing. Um, You have to have confidence that you know how things are going to turn out. Um, So, like, the main character has has to have confidence that, you know, their best friend, Peter Pettigrew, won't turn them in. And then when Peter Pettigrew does, in fact, turn them in to the Dark Lord, that's when it feels personal because you were expecting something different and there was, like, a personal connection to make you feel like they would never step over that line. Well, and on top of that, I feel like especially when the character is going out on a limb and, like, trusting somebody, which has to usually happen with the betrayal because... In order for a betrayal to truly work, the reader has to see that it is a possibility without believing that it will happen and and then and then hoping that it won't happen. Because like, um, for example, in Avatar, in the second season, when Zuko and Katara become buddies, and then in the end, he still chooses to like join his sister and fight them and kills Aang. Well, I guess Azula does. Like... There's so much feeling there because we know who Zuko is. We went on that journey with him. We saw him start to turn around and start to believe in like good things in the world. And we watched him connect with our most hopeful and like 
loving character in the whole franchise. Like she would believe a, a pirate who was stealing her wallet that they were still good, right? I mean, except for that time she actually did steal stuff from pirates. <laughs> I don't, I mean, anyway, but she like, if anybody was going to love him and trust him, it was Katara. And then she did. And then he turned, I don't want to talk about Zutara. Oh, I was going to say this episode <laughs> brought to you by Zutara. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, like part of the reason it hurts so much is because we saw the character arc and we saw the redemption arc coming and then it crashed and it's totally believable. And we just had so much hope for him and the characters had so much hope for him. And then he just throws it in the trash. So he didn't live up to our idealized expectations. I really like that. I think that's a kind of a cool way to, to put a betrayal into your work, too, because it we knew he was going to betray us, or it was pretty obvious he was going to betray us. He betrayed us every time before, but but yet it was still a betrayal when it came. Well, but has he, though? Like, Zuko, he started out that way, but then he started not acting like that Um, In the Zuko Alone episode, which I think precedes that, he he lets you down, and then he, he sort of turns it around. He's constantly well, but, making big mistakes, and then yeah. taking little well, steps forward. Yes, and then he finally like rejoins his uncle and like his uncle starts teaching him and he changes. Like there's that episode where he like has that terrible fever and then wakes up and is like, "I'm better. I like your plain food. I like tea." You know, like there's this mir- miraculous change in Zuko that all of us are like hoping will happen and that he'll stop being such a complainy, awful person. But I mean, maybe that's why it didn't stick because it wasn't believable that he changed. Yeah, I think um, another aspect of betrayal that's not always necessary but can be good is is surprise, which I think goes along with that. Like, I, I think there have definitely times in books where a character has betrayed someone and it's been a huge shock and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened. But there are mm-hmm. also times, like, um, I'm thinking, like, in Thor Ragnarok, right? Loki, Loki's number one thing is that he's going to betray Thor. That's just what he's going to do. And... By the time Ragnarok happens, Thor is finally wised up to that. And so he's able to use that inevitable betrayal um, in a way to further his own plans. Where there's like the part where he's like, oh, Loki, you'll just always be you in his like Thor way. Right. But it there's still this little bit of a twist of like, oh, no, Thor's in trouble. And then it's like, oh, no, Thor got the got the one up. And and with all those like double crossing, that makes for a really interesting story, too. Or I think uh, somebody mentioned Jack Sparrow in the outline. There's another fun. We expect him to betray everyone, but also to be the good guy in the end, maybe. Okay, but Pirates of the Caribbean also has like a legit betrayal that I personally wasn't expecting, which there there's that part where Elizabeth kisses Jack and then like dooms him to dying by the Kraken, right? I did not yeah. see that coming. Um. And so I think that's another inevitable step of betrayals in a book. There's always a reveal where you find out that so-and-so has has done something horrible. And that moment can be a really big one or it can be really small. But at some point, the main character has to find out. Or I, is that even true? Does the main character have to find out? Are there books and stories where the main character is betrayed and there's just the dramatic irony of you knowing that they've been betrayed? Yes! Yes. I think... Star I feel Wars. let down if eventually they don't find out. Oh, that's that's true. Well, I, I'm just thinking of the extended universe, right? Where Jason, spoiler, kills Luke's wife, Mara, and 
nobody knows, and for, like, six books, the only person that knows is not believed, and, and there's a reveal, but it takes six books to get to, so. Ah, so the enjoyment comes from the reader being betrayed. We were betrayed by a character we loved, or something like that. I mean, I guess you do find out eventually, so there is a reveal. It just doesn't always have to be in the same book that the betrayal happens in. Well, I feel like the longer uh, a creator, a writer, can hold off the reveal, like, the more uncomfortable and the more terrible it is when you finally find out. Because, like, I feel like those betrayals, if you're talking about, like, making a character feel betrayed rather than a betrayal happening in the moment, it's holding off on, like, like, uh, in any romance novel, for example, when that thing is revealed that breaks the characters apart like we're all waiting for it to be revealed and it gets more and more uncomfortable the longer it is not revealed i don't know if that counts in your extended universe jason example because i haven't read those books because i'm a nerd it probably counts or, or not a nerd like i don't know which one it is <laughs> yeah no you're not a nerd i don't know about that <laughs> no i am i just in a different kind my little brother read all those books and so he was reading them so i was like i'm not gonna read those <laughs> Oh, man, missing out for sure. I, I feel like so. in this conversation, we've sort of gone back and forth and sometimes described a character being betrayed and sometimes described the reader betraying being betrayed. Do we ever actually want the reader to feel betrayed? Do we? Is it is a thing we just want a character to feel? Is there a time when a reader should feel betrayed? That's a really good question. I think, I think the only time that I could think of is when like Caitlin mentioned, when a character betrays themselves and then the reader feels betrayed because they were the one who had hoped the character would do better. But I don't, I don't think we ever want our readers to feel betrayed by the author, by the characters, yes, maybe by unfortunate circumstances. Someone dies in a natural disaster, a character dies and, and we feel betrayed by that, but never by poor writing, never by... Um, Cheap holes. explanations, yeah, plot holes. Mm-hmm. Or by dropping the ball. Like, I mean, all the examples that we shared at the beginning were all um, poor executions, weren't they? Uh, maybe mine just was, and I was just paying attention to myself no, because I'm self-centered. No, but they, they, they were, were all poor executions. Poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so betrayal by an author is definitely more about, like, lack of skill, probably, or time. Like, I mean, with Firefly, they only had two hours to wrap up, you know, a, a botched season. So, like, I understand why, but, and they tried so hard, like, with Shepard, they're like, I'm not gonna tell you who I am, and I'm like, but you have to, <laughs> like, what's the fun of building it all up if you're not gonna share the the twist, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like if you can't avoid that as an author, you should probably not drop balls. So how can we betray our readers without our, how can we betray our characters without our readers feeling betrayed? Does it come down to, like, appropriate foreshadowing, or is there more to it? I mean, I think so. I feel like your reader has to be firmly in the same camp that your character who gets betrayed, especially if it's, like, a close POV. Like, your reader has to believe it just as much as your character does. And if you are, like, an analytical author-type person who's reading, maybe it's not as easy to trick you. But, like, your audience, your target audience, should be right in that camp. And I feel like it it almost is like a betrayal if you're expecting it from the beginning. You're like, that character's going to betray this person, and this person's going to do this. Like, maybe that doesn't count for what we're talking about, but I think it's a betrayal. I would like to be <laughs> betrayed by a person I wasn't expecting to betray me. 
Yeah, and I think that brings up a good point. Um, the signs that that someone's going to betray another character or they're going to end up being the villain or whatever, they don't have to be huge, but in, I would argue that they always do have to be there. Um, in real life, when someone betrays you, it, it can come out of the blue. There can be literally zero signs they're going to betray you and boom, you're betrayed. But in books, that just does not pan well um, because readers know that there is the author behind the scenes pulling the strings and doing whatever they want. You can't do whatever you want. It has to be it has to be foreshadowed like Kristen asked about. Even if there's no way possible readers could tell the signs relating to someone being betrayed, um, it's really important that those signs are there after the betrayal for, for them to, to be, oh my goodness, it was there all along. I feel like you're thinking of the Queen's Thief series again. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yes, know if you are, always. but... <laughs> Well, I mean, are you saying that like a betrayal, even if a reader isn't expecting it or even isn't hoping for it not to happen, that if they it's a surprise and then they reread, they're like, oh, yeah, I see where this is coming from. Yeah. Is and that maybe that's just personal preference. But when when there are no signs, it's it's too easy. Right. Because the, the author risked nothing. Um, they literally had all the cards and uh, you as the reader were powerless I can imagine a story where that works and then the next, like the follow-ups to it are exploring how it would have happened. Because I feel like that's how heists are, where they like trick you. It's not a betrayal. It's a cool, like, my mind is blown because this worked and it wasn't supposed to, you know, like the whole trope of the heist doesn't work, but it's really the things that are not working that causes it to work. Like in um, Ocean's Eleven where they all get caught, but then it's actually the emergency crew at the end who's going and taking everything i'm i haven't seen that movie in a really long time but usually that's the 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 trope with heist is you think it's not going to work but then it is in that moment where you think it's messed up um i don't remember where i was going with this so we should probably just cut all of that out but no no you were talking about how afterwards the signs don't need to be there but uh, you know a future story could tackle don't know if I've seen it done in a way that I liked, so I cannot give any examples, but I could see that maybe possibly working if the story continues and the whole point is to discover what happened. Yeah, that's a good point. I could see that too. I mean, if we're just talking about personal taste, my personal taste in betrayal is I love when you have access to the betrayee and the betrayer's thoughts and so you can follow the whole thing from a distance of watching a train wreck uh, about to happen I think those are always super fun I well I guess I want to be oh sorry go ahead I was just gonna add that as long as there's a really clear strong motive I will buy any betrayal and be like thrilled to be reading it I just need to understand at some point why it's happening I was just thinking one of your favorite books is The Winner's It sure Kiss. is, yeah. The Winner's. And that one is a really great example of we can see it happening from both sides where the first book is, yes, I am going to betray you. And then the second one is, no, I wasn't trying to betray you. Well, and then it gets so. even more complicated where it's like, I knew that you knew I was betraying you, so it doesn't really count as a betrayal. Like, I, uh-huh. you, I knew what was <laughs> happening in your brain. And, and then, of course, they still feel betrayed because they're miscommunicating. I just love miscommunication when it's done well. That's a good mis- that's a good miscommunication. Believable miscommunication yeah. is yeah, all. It's, like, it's like, almost harder than than good communication. I know, I know. <laughs> all right. Well I think that's about our time for this portion of the podcast. Um, are we all good to move on to the next portion? Awesome. We're gonna do something fun today. If you've been listening to our bonus episodes, you know 
Every other month or so, we do a hot seat critique where we see a submission for the first time on the air and then critique it as we read. And we're going to do that today as well instead of our usual critique format. Um, we'll try out some voices. Who knows what could happen? <laughs> All Tori had ever known was the attic. It was a musty dwelling tucked away at the highest point of the Countess Sterling's manor, filled only with dusty furniture, mildewed books, and one too many spiderwebs. Occasionally, one of her many sisters would make the long and lonely trek up the rotted wooden stairs to visit, but her existence was almost wholly a lonely one. Um, I love the mention that she has many sisters. Sister books are great. I'm already a fan. And Tori, I like the beginning. All Tori had ever known was the attic is kind of a fun beginning. I will say that there's a word echo, many. There's many spiderwebs and many sp sisters, which is very nitpicky. But because we're reading out loud, that is what sticks out to me. I didn't mind that. I, I actually got stuck on the almost wholly a lonely one. It, it was just a lot of modifiers. But that's so small that, like, that's fine. The situation would be dire were she not made of copper plates and spinning gears. Every day since she awoke to consciousness 17 years ago had been the same, and this morning was no different. When the sun peeked over New London's horizon, Tori hastily shut Horton's Guide to Human Anatomy and tossed it in its proper place atop a disheveled junk pile on the floor. She rose from the Hang bed. Hang on one second, sorry. So there's an interesting conflict happening here. We have in the first paragraph that she's lonely, and then we have in this fourth paragraph that she's not because she's never known anything else and she's a machine. So I'm not sure which one it is. Did you guys feel like that at all? I agree. I didn't mind it. I I guess I could see how you could be lonely your whole life and be aware that you're lonely, but I also see where you're coming from. So I don't know. I like that she's a robot. I think that's cool. Super cool. And I like the mention of New London, too. That's always a fun hint that we're in an alternate history or, or something. Well, and also Horton's Guide to Human Anatomy is a fun detail because I'm like an automaton who's interested in anatomy. This is going to be like, you know, the machine that's obsessed with, with humans type uh -huh. of thing. That's, yeah. that's interesting. She rose from the bed. Why human comforts were provided for an automaton, she hadn't a clue, and resumed her daily post before the east-facing arched window. As fascinating as Horton is, this is much more entertaining, she thought. Also not interested in humans. Okay. That one actually is confusing to me. Like, she's she's been confused her whole life about why she has a bed. Well, how does she know what to do with it? Did someone come up and be like, that's the thing you lay in when you're not sleeping because you're an automaton? I mean, maybe she does sleep. We don't know. We don't know. With the arrival of the dawn came the bustling of the people down below, and Tori wouldn't dream of missing it. Gathering her long green skirt knotted above her knee to prevent getting caught on attic junk, the gears of her joints clicked against each other as she sat before the cracked pane of glass. So she is interested in humans. She just likes the real ones better than the ones in books. The sprawling gardens of Brassfort, Brassfort Manor sat boastfully beneath the attic, below the attic, spilling out to the wrought iron gates declaring its perimeter. Hedges trimmed to look like giant elephants and giraffes, luscious rose bushes, a pond filled with lily pads and families of ducks, were all nestled neatly atop the sprawling green lawn. A dozen or so of her mechanical sisters milled about, completing morning chores and chatting with one another. Oh, interesting. So they're all mechanical, but she's the one in the attic. Yeah, that is, is really interesting. Also double sprawling in this paragraph. We're reading out loud. I can't help it. Sorry. 
I will third the loving that all her sisters are mechanical. That's a fun And twist. I like the name Brassfort. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tori knew nothing new or exciting ever happened at Brassfort, so she turned her eyes to the city center beyond the gates. Airships began their morning flights across the peachy sky, weaving through impossibly high skyscrapers and smog until they winked out of sight. The bot's uncanny hearing ability picked up the howl of a work whistle among the faraway chatter. Children began to pour from the factories, hands chapped and faces covered in soot from the long night's work. Wait, the children are working in factories and the robots are being treated like they're royal? That's pretty dope. Like, that's a cool switcheroo, and I'm excited to see how that turns out. I can keep reading, but if someone else wants a turn, that's super fun. I can go. Visual receptors enhance. The bright blue words flashed in the upper right-hand corner of her vision as she maneuvered the dial behind her ear forward. A hollow click made her steel skull hum with each turn, vision zooming in closer and closer to the once sleepy streets. Bakers, butchers, and blacksmiths began their morning rituals, the windows within their shops coming alive as shutters flung open and gas lamps hummed awake. Paper boys zipped along the cob- Paper boys zipped along the cobblestone on steam-powered scooters, chucking the New London Herald at brass-plated doors, much to the chagrin of the residents. Street dogs paddled along in search of breakfast. A few formerly three-legged pups now four-legged once more after the help of some kindly mechanic. I like that detail. As oh, much I as love the common, yeah, that was really cute. As much as the common folk tugged at her more emotional circuits, Tori waited with bated breath for the city's elite to awake. Arriving note. Yep. So I just want to say it's kind of cool that we know that she is she has emotions. I like some of the um like the the clues that were being given about her. I do feel like we are sitting a little bit deep in description though. I'll agree with as that. As far as um as far as pacing goes in a first chapter. Yeah, I'll agree. Um with the caveat that I am enjoying the mentions of the steampunkery going on. Um, yeah. Because I feel like oftentimes newer writers will say their story is steampunk, but it, they won't commit. It will just be steampunk in name only, right? So I, I love seeing how the technology is affecting all the different aspects of life. But I'm I'm totally with you, Caitlin, on um, maybe some of the more standard things about bakers and butchers and blacksmiths maybe is a little much for detail. Arriving no earlier than 11 o'clock, they would prance through the streets, showing off velvety capes, leather top hats, and glossy brass goggles as they shopped to their heart's content. Though she never fully admitted it to herself, she wondered what it would be like to be one of them, beautiful and elegant and one of visual receptors, warning. The words flashed red and angry across her field of vision, accompanied by a pop somewhere in her skull. Tori yelped and squeezed her eyes shut, waiting for the uncomfortable feeling to pass. Visual receptors, stabilized. She silently cursed her absent-minded hand for continuing to turn the dial forward while she was swept up in her daydream. A pang of sadness threatened to settle in her core. I suppose I'm not so similar to your study subjects, Horton, she murmured to nobody as she stood and turned from the window. On the wall adjacent to the window, Tori tugged on the sun-bleached sheet nailed crookedly into the peeling wallpaper. Even though I'd quite like to be, she said as it fell to the floor, nails thudding dully on the unfinished floorboards. So, I'm gonna say... And this is probably just me, depending on what, I'm assuming this is YA. And if this is YA, then uh, articulating that, I would like to be like a human. I feel like I already knew that based on what we'd already read. But some people, I also am constantly forced by my editor to articulate things that I don't want to. So take that or leave it. I'm a let the reader figure it out type of person, but oftentimes readers do need an extra push, so... 
My prescriptive personal advice would be that articulating out loud is useful if you're articulating in a context that it makes sense to be articulating it. Like there's not really a reason for her to be saying it out loud right here. And that's where it feels heavy handed to me. But that's Mm. just my personal opinion. I've been trying to figure out if like how else to like with pacing and with that she's alone in the attic. So like, what else could she be doing? If most of this book takes place in an attic, I'm really interested to see how the story like moves forward at all. It's interesting. That's about our time. Did we have any final thoughts? All right, then thanks so much to this author for submitting. We loved reading the part of your story we got to read. Wish you best of luck on it in the future. Our next guest will be Ayana Gray, whose young adult debut, Beasts of Prey, will release on September 28th. If you'd like a first chapter critique from Ayana, get us your work by August 22nd. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.